I want to call my last game and I want it to be in my hometown. I want it to be on, my, on our shores and I want it to be in, in front of friends and family. And that was uh, the Rugby World Cup qualifier against Canada in San Diego. So having my daughter run you know, with me onto the field for the national anthem, played well and it was a great victory and very proud of the performance and afterwards doing a victory lap with my daughter. There's no better way of sending off a, a career. There's not a lot of athletes that, uh, that can retire on their own terms after a long career. So that was, uh, it was a brilliant way to bow out. Hi, I'm Todd Clever, or Cleaver, or Clever. This is the Rugby Hive. He's so dangerous, Freddy Krueger has nightmares about him. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Hive. I'm Dan and Stanford, and despite my South African accent, I was fortunate enough to play rugby for the United States on the Sevens World Series. And I'm Robin McDowell, a former Canadian Sevens International. Back in my playing days, I went head to head against Dallin in the USA. For several years, Robin has coached international sevens for various countries, including Canada and Mexico. He's massively passionate about growing the game across the Americas through his McDowell rugby programs at all levels. I'm currently a commentator for World Rugby, most recently broadcasting the Rugby World Cup in Japan, as well as the amazing Sevens World Series. More than a decade later, we are teaming up to bring you insights from legendary players and coaches from around the world. All legends have a story. The Rugby Hive podcast is here to share it. Welcome to the Hive. Hello and welcome to episode 24, our final episode for the year 2020, one that seemed to never end. But the positive to come out of this, of course, was the founding of the Rugby Hive podcast in the early part of the year. We smashed 24 episodes and we've learned enough to get the podcast edited and off the ground. Not bad for a couple of car doors who prefer to coach and talk about rugby for a living. And we've had so many unbelievable guests in season one, including Brian Banner, Nolly Waterman, Frank Bunce. Kayla Maleski, Osia Kalanisal, Mike Friday, Henry Paul, Tiana Penatani, Ari Guerrero, Ruben Samuel, Gary Gold, Gareth Reese, Joel Stransky, Mark Robertson, Chris Brown, Frankie Horn, Andy Friend, Alev Kelter, Nate Hirayama, Clark Laidlaw, Chris Wiles, Leslie McKenzie, Carl Tanana, Santiago Gomez, Cora, John Tate, Ben Gollings, and today's guest, Todd Clever, or as Robin calls him, Todd Cleaver. It's because he's carving people up like a butcher that he is. But what a thrill to hear from all these legends about their backgrounds, their journeys, and the ups and downs, and of course, the advice they give for the next generation. Well, today's personality, the Captain America of USA Rugby, the poster boy for the United States for the past 15 years, out of the last 20 years. Todd, he's played all over the world, the most capped US Eagle of all time. He's done so much for the game, I don't know, off the field. And with the recent founding of the Todd Clever Foundation, he founded this after we recorded the episode, and we'll get back into that in a little bit. Todd and myself, I had a chance to play with him for three years on the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series. An unbelievable player. Got a chance to commentate him with the US Eagles from 2015 to 2018 when he announced his retirement. And he's an amazing teammate, an amazing person. Rarely ever seen wearing a shirt, though. But again, when you absolutely ripped like Todd is, you can get away with it. He's the man. That's all I got to say about that. He's your, he's your California poster boy. Um, I was on the receiving end of a, a Todd Clever headbutt in Hong Kong in uh, 2006 or so. And, and that was the last time I got near him, but he's, he's a good man on and off the field and he's doing great work. And he's also now the poster boy for the MLR. He's really trying to drive the game in the U S he paved the way as a player, you know, obviously playing super rugby, playing Japan, playing all over the world. And obviously uh, one of the best players probably of all time on, on the global scene. And now uh, that he's retired, he's continuing to pave the way uh, on home soil. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great episode and, and just a great man. And then I also want to touch on Robin briefly about his foundation, which he just founded. You said there are two parts to it. One is the helping communities part, which is a global impact focus. And so they'll provide rugby balls, jerseys, equipment, um, and as well as professional coaching. And they plan to support existing camps and clinics with emphasis on the inner city programs. And then some rural out, outreach as well with uh, uh, focusing on creating new programs. And then he has a really exciting part of it too, some scholarships for athletes who firstly can't afford to attend certain rugby camps so they can increase their skills. So that's really great. And then the second part of that is a high performance scholarship because Todd's played, as you mentioned, all over the world. So he's looking to send players to New Zealand, South Africa, Japan, England, all places where he is carved up. And so folks can go to toddclever.com to find out more information on that. Just wonderful work that he's doing that side. And then a personal memory, of course, for Todd, 
We'll put their highlight on YouTube as well. Never forget playing in the Sevens World Series. And there's a US player down injured. I think it was exact test or somebody. He's getting medical attention right near the try line. Todd gets the ball. There's nobody in front of him. So he can run around Zach and score the try. No, he runs at Zach. Zach's hunched over, getting attention from the physio. And Todd dives over him. Oh, like a Superman <laughs> dive to score the try. It's a classic Todd move and kind of, I think, sums up his way of being. He's absolutely mental, but uh, top man. That is unreal. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. So, pal, listen, any thoughts from you as we round out our season one of the Rugby Hive? Some highs and lows from you, my friend. Zero, zero lows, except for my technical skills. Uh, all the highs, I think it's been the best medicine uh, for us uh, personally. And, you know, selfishly just wanting to learn from some of the best players and coaches uh, from around the world. And hopefully that content, I mean, that's one of the pauses with COVID. We've had these, you know, we have technology to, to help connect us, see each other, learn and listen and take the time and slow down. And I know for myself and for my, a number of my athletes and friends and family, we've done just that. So I uh, just really thankful to catch up with old friends and, and obviously uh, connect with new ones. And, and hopefully it's uh, you know, it's, this is a springboard for 2021. we got some exciting announcements in the new year here. And uh, I think the most exciting announcements though, uh, rounding out 2020 is, is having Karen and, and Remo, otherwise known as Extremo, join uh join our team to support us yeah they've been absolutely brilliant huge thank you from my side as well to karen and remo because we know robin's not the tech guru so it's good to have these legends uh on on board as well so time now to shuttle the gates for 2020 we appreciate all the support out there you amazing listeners that's you tuning in right now we really appreciate it a tremendous season two is coming up in 2021 with some fantastic sponsors and partners locked in for the ride so for this season, we want to thank supporters of The Hive in Gilbert Rugby Canada, Brand Marinade, Focus Care Products, Rugby Coffee, Yeti, and make sure to engage with us on the socials at Rugby Hive on Twitter and Facebook, at My Rugby Hive on Insta. We wish everybody an amazing new year. Be safe, be careful, keep carving, and we'll see you in 2021. From Robin and myself, keep the change, my friends. Time now for episode 24. Do you need anything else from me? Is there enough light? Do you need anything else? No, you look great, pal. You look great. You're great. Sadi, it is fantastic to hear and see your beautiful face. That hair has been synonymous with rugby in America and around the world for decades, my friend. So good to have you on our show. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, good to have the hair flowing, a little wet from the, the swimming pool in full isolation and, and trying to make the most of it. Yes, yeah, so tell us what's been going on. Uh, you've got your daughter Hatley uh, running around there. You guys are doing push-up competitions, or should I say, you're 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 doing the push-ups. She's just jumping on your back. Yeah, I mean, uh, staying active. Gyms are closed, but uh, you know, healthy uh, living is is what I'm all about. So teaching her all the yoga, meditation, workouts. You know, having her run around the house and yard and stuff, and and switching uh, switching the environment around. So I have a, I have a place in San Diego and a, and a place just outside of Palm Springs. So uh, just really, you know, kind of bouncing between the beach and the desert, golf and surf. So uh, and, and, and squeezing a lot of family time. Well, speaking of your family, I've been fortunate enough to be at quite a lot of your internationals over the last few years uh, where you were playing. And I always would see your mom and dad there, Robin and Harry. Can you tell us a bit about their role in your career? Yeah, I mean, they play, uh, play a huge role, you know, throughout my, uh, my career and being so supportive. And, you know, just as, a, as, as being a father uh, myself, it's... You know, you take uh, you take some lessons and, and learnings and and uh, the do's and don'ts. But uh, you know, for them being so supportive, that's the biggest chapter that, that I want to show. You know, my kids that, that I want to do. And you know, they've uh, they've traveled all around the globe watching me play, from uh, from you know all star teams to under nineteen national team to uh, World Cups. Uh, so so them being so supportive, you know, definitely uh, you know adds more. Uh, fuel to the fire and, uh, you know, burn desire to, to keep making the teams, but also to keep performing and, and making them proud. They're a very, very special bunch. They're clevers. Now, listen, I met you for the first time. I'd obviously seen you on the posters for, uh, for us rugby and things like that. It was about 2007, a training camp for the seven side in San Diego. And what impressed me so much about you when I first met you was how friendly you were, how approachable you were. You had played, you know, internationally, but here we were, a lot of us, first time, you know, into an international camp, and uh, you were so willing to help out. I'll never forget 
It was during one of Al Caravelli's fitness tests. So it was about eight hours into the jaw. We were doing everything we could to stay alive. And, uh, you know, you, you at then, of course, were a full-time professional athlete. A lot of us had day jobs and things like that. But it was like the last few minutes of the session and it was about 10, 100-meter sprints. And you came to me and you're like, cool, let's do it together. And I just, you know, felt your energy and was, I was able to get through it because of your help. And that ended up, I think in my head, I was like, if I can stay with Todd all the, this, this distance, I'm definitely make the team, you know. And, uh, and it all went good from there, my friend. So go back in your career. You played all over New Zealand, South Africa, England, Japan, USA. What attributes do you think make a, a very good teammate? Got capped uh, when I was 19, 20 years old for, for U.S., been around the, the team. So being the youngest guy, you know, and having a long 15-year career internationally. Uh, so, you know, playing with, uh, you know, some obviously older guys, established guys, you know, fully professional and having that uh, sort of knowledge and, 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 and see the future and who I wanted to be and, and doing my uh, research and studies of, you know, what kind of athlete I wanted to be. My whole thing of is, is to lead by example, you know, not, not necessarily words or, or, you know, talking through it. It's, uh, you know, if you, if you can just, you know, be a good teammate, you know, do it for the guys and, and guys will do it with you and, and just kind of feed off that energy. So, you know, I, I definitely remember, you know, those, those fitness tests with, with Al and, and uh, pre-seasons to, you know, when games get tough in the last 10 minutes. Is, uh, is how you want to be remembered is not, not, not by the words, but by your actions. Toddy, I remember when I first met you and you probably don't remember, but um, it was in LA. We had just landed from Wellington and, and uh, I don't know if you were, you guys got in a day earlier or what, but you were on the Canada bus, Canada van driving back from the airport to the hotel. And, uh, and we pull out of the airport and the boys are giving it to you and you're giving it back. And we were all having a, a good good chat and and we pull out of the airport i remember and there's like one billboard the second you you see the light out of the car park and it's just it's, it's todd nation so the boys are just giving it to you you're just loving it and and no ego and then uh, we go down the highway a little further and we see another one and another one and another one and that was uh that was my first impression of you is just you were just uh class and 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 just down to earth just a general beauty so you know just seeing you progress through your rugby career in sevens and fifteens uh you know everybody's got great things to say say about you so uh, that's a testament to you and uh and learn a bit about your folks uh how you were raised so let's go back to your younger days uh, what sports did you grow up as a young man what, what sports did you get into more traditional american sports first you know i I, rem I do remember that you know coming out of that uh, lax and being in one of the biggest uh, cities in the world and having your face on the billboards and and things like that and and uh you know again it's it's one of those things that you could you know i i, I, I have it in memory but you know it's it's just kind of take it in stride and, and don't let those go to your head and don't change for anybody. And, you know, if it's lifelong friends or, or, you know, people, it's all about having that sort of uh, respect and, and knowing that sort of, if you're on a billboard, you're doing something right, but you're also going to have a target on your, on your, uh, on your chest for it. So uh, no, I do appreciate those words. Um, you growing up, uh, you know, in Northern California, having one older brother who got me into the sport, playing, you know, soccer all, all, all through youth, uh, a little bit of baseball, swimming, All-American, well-rounded, you know, neighborhood and, and everything. So, you know, I kind of just dabbled in everything and, and rugby. I started playing when I was 15 years old, following my brother's foot, footsteps. And, uh, you know, I just kind of at an earlier age, just saw the opportunity to see the world. And that was one of my passions is, is to travel the world and, and live different cultural cultures and, and eat different foods and, and go on tour. And that's, uh, that's what I really fell in love with. And, and then found out I could, uh, you know, the better I got with rugby, the more teams I got invited in. So started traveling, uh, you know, with all-star teams and select sides and, and ultimately USA under 19 team. And that's when I got uh, introduced to professionalism, professionalism make, watching Tri-Nations and, and Super Rugby and, uh, you know, put all my eggs in one basket to, uh, to fulfill that dream. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. And uh, obviously, we're going to have a lot of North American content on here as far as the rugby hive's concerned, but we're going to have a global audience. So just trying to get the global world to understand uh, the North American athlete. And I've shared it on a, on a few different episodes, but I grew up playing hockey, baseball, you know, everything very North American. And a lot of us Canadian guys, we, we always hit 
very high when we're learning how to tackle we go very high and if you're my size going into Todd Cleaver that doesn't work out so well but uh, but in hockey it's shoulder to shoulder right like standing tall skating down the ice so that was a big transition for me when I was uh, when I was making the switch so you know if you could go back to 10 year old Todd or the the Todd that first put on the cleats and the short shorts and the long socks what would you what would you say to yourself yeah I mean now that there's pathways to to the national team um, or pathways to go overseas or anything else when when I was you know starting you know my whole my whole thing is all about balance and and enjoyment and I don't think I much I would have changed much to be honest you know I set my goals and and set some pretty uh, high standard goals and was able to to reach them which was you know the best thing about you know writing things down is checking them off and, and, you know, short-term uh, and long-term goals and doing it. So, you know, I got in the sport for enjoyment and for traveling and, you know, I, got, I was able to do that. I was able to make a good living doing that playing, uh, you know, 13, 14 years professional overseas. So I got to experience, uh, you know, different cultures, different leagues and, and have friends from all over. So, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, enjoy it, follow your passions and, and write down those goals and, and, and don't let anyone, you know, you can keep them to yourself. So if, if, if you're shy about it, but write down those goals because, you know, that makes it real. And, and, and whenever you're able to uh, tick off a box that, you, that you're able to do, it, it, it's no better feeling. And, you know, from, from myself, of, you know, making the national team to, uh, you know, playing super rugby to going to World Cups. Uh, those were all goals and, and, you know, some, some of them were, you know, five years uh, in the making. And whenever I was able to experience it, it was great to, to actually tick off those boxes. Tony, I'm going to jump in here on something uh, that Robin just said, because quite a few Canadians, I remember commentating actually one USA Canada game, they would call you your name slightly differently. Now I was being told your name is Todd Clever. They would say Todd Cleaver. Now you've been Playing around the world, you watch yourself. You watch your game footage. Do you laugh when you hear the variation? Yeah, and and I, it's funny because my family and close friends, they, you know, even at stadiums announcing or, or on TV, they're like, oh, they got your name wrong, or they got, and, and uh, why don't you say this? And I said, I'll never correct anybody. You know, it's and and that kind of maybe kept myself a, a bit grounded. It's sort of like you don't you you never make it until uh, you know the whole world knows how to pronounce your name. You know. It's not that hard. So, you know, and I never correct people. They ask, I'll, I'll let them know. But, you know, life goes on. I think, I think because you used to cut people up, they, they like the cleaver thing. You know what I mean? A meat cleaver. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> I always like to ask our guests the, this question. Your very first test match, you youngsters, you mentioned, I think it's 2003 against Argentina. You come off the bench. Can you give us insight into that day? What's going through your mind? Obviously, you've done really well up until that point, but this is your first big international break. My first camp uh, with the U.S. national team was in 2002, and I was going in for World Cup qualifiers and, and you know, being part of it. And I, I was right when I finished on the U.S. under 19 team. So I graduated from there, you know, aged out of my eligibility. And the next camp they had for the Eagles, I got the call-up. And it was – I'll never forget that call-up. And it was like surreal sort of thing. And – and just, you know, the idols and people that I've had, you know, written down and, you know, how much they, they weighed, how tall they were, what their, you know, fitness scores were, all those sort of things. It's like, shit, I'm, I'm with the big, big boys now and this is, this is it. So I, so I took it in, in stride and, and went to camps and, and uh, it, was a, it was a long, you know, being part of several camps before getting a cap. And then once I got my first cap, uh, you know, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, you know, playing against, you know, Argentina, the Pumas was, was incredible experience. And uh, I remember the first game, you know, on game day, wake up and it was lax and I was relaxed and had a bit of nerves. But, you know, well, you know, you kind of fake it till you make it. And, you know, I think a couple of the older, older guys, you know, enjoyed uh, or, or definitely noticed it. And um, one of the guys that came up to me is uh, Kevin Dazell. He was our scrum half at the time played many years uh, at scrum half and overseas in France and England. And he, he came to me and he's like, you're here for a reason, play your game. It's just any other, any other game. And it just really calmed my nerves uh, in doing it. And whenever, you know, and I, and, and that's exactly what it was. It's just another game. It was a little bit fast, a little bit more physical, but man, I relished it. And, and I'll never forget those words, those calming words, and I actually used those words um, that, that he said to me 
for, you know, dozens and dozens of eagles that I saw in that place and had those nerves and whatever else. And I, if I saw, you know, sort of the, because you know, I was in those boots that they were in and, and that making those same sort of faces, you know, and, and chatted to them and, and definitely ease, uh, ease those tensions. So uh, doing that and yeah, it was enjoyable to get that experience uh, at, at an early age. And, and uh, from my first cap to my second cap, I had to wait even longer, you know, and, and being part of the cam- uh, teams and camps, getting picked up, getting dropped, getting, having other people. But it just made me the player who I, who I was, you know, sort of nothing came easy from my first cap in 2003. My second cap was in 2005. So I had to wait another two years of grinding and, and uh, you know, giving all, giving it my all and, you know, there's, uh, you know, highs and lows throughout any career, but that was, uh, that was definitely challenging mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, definitely. And Toddy, each, each team has a different ceremony and process about handing out that first cap. Could you take us into that night? Your first game is finished. What, what happens after that? I, I still have that cap. It's, uh, it's framed, you know, accepting it after the test jersey. There was three others, uh, U.S. Eagles, that, that got capped that day as well. Uh, so, you know, being up there on stage and having uh, a, a nice uh, frosty drink and, and uh, one turned into a few and turned into a few more and, and kind of just experiencing it. And it was, uh, you know, it's definitely memorable. Like, I'll never forget that sort of stuff. And Toddy, you wear that, you have to wear that all night long or what's the, what's the ruling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have a 24 hours, you know, and that, that kind of takes it. So you, you put it on and you're in uh, the next day on the bus, you're wearing it, you, you, you know, you're, it's, it's attached to you. So, uh, and, you know, I think, I think they were a little bit more lax back then with it, to be honest. Um, it was a bit, it was a tight ship that they ran. It was somewhat military. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got a kid with a uh, you know, I, maybe back then I had dreadlocks when I entered camp and when I, when I got my first cap, I had short hair. So they, they, they pretty much, uh, you know, made me do, do some, you know, straightening up, you know, tucking in my shirt, things that I wasn't really used to uh, that I don't do now. So maybe that's why I haven't I got a haircut since. I was going to say, or, or shaved your beard, you know. Toddy, so I've got a, a chance. I was fortunate enough to commentate at least 20 or 25 of your international games over the years. Uh, one I won't forget is against Canada. You scored one of the fastest hat tricks ever recorded in world rugby history. Come from behind victory. Can you talk about the great rivalry and the battles between uh, your neighbors to the north? I mean, it started early for myself being with a USA under 19 team, you know, playing with them uh, for qualifiers for world championships, uh, junior world championships, and then playing college all Americans. They were, they were tough. And, and I think some of the, some of the games were tougher on me personally with some of the USA under 19 teams versus Canada under 19. Those were, those were like tough for me because I don't know. when I played against the men's team, Oh, that was one of my most nervous I've ever been because I remember how hard they were as under 19s. And whenever I played against them as men, it was a year later or, you know, a couple years later. And, and it was, you know, you know, a lot changed and a lot of it's mentally and it was about who surrounds you and, uh, you know, actually being around guys that want to, you know, be in that collision. It wasn't just, you know, one long haired kid doing things, but, but no, it's, it's a great rivalry and, and it's awesome that we have MLR uh, as well. And, and they have Toronto and, you know, hopefully they'll get another franchise that will keep building. And, and uh, because that's the biggest thing is that's us, that's what we've been missing. And, and I think both teams are going to, uh, both countries are going to benefit from that on the world stage and, and be able to compete in, in the World Cups. Well, we, we certainly have a lot of respect for our, our neighbors to the South. Yeah, I, I had an opportunity to coach a North American U19 side in Dubai a few years ago, two years in a row, and the majority of those boys were American. And then since then, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go do some camps and do a bit of coaching all across the U.S. And, and I don't know if you know, Todd, but I've been involved with the Mexican women's national team in the past too. So across Americas and the Caribbean. So for me, it's really about, you know, seeing the U.S. catch fire, seeing you on a billboard when I was a plane. For us, we thought that was positive because rugby's on the map. And for, for the game to grow across the Americas in this part of the world, we need, we need America to be strong for sure. But I'll tell you the hardest game I've been asked, the hardest game I've ever played in 15s or 7s was 7s, Friday Night Lights in Hong Kong versus the U.S. And, uh, you know, 
obviously Samoa is no fun to play against. New Zealand is no fun to get play against, but the most physical game I was ever a part of was the Hong Kong sevens and in 06. And I think I, I went to hit the one rock I ever tried to hit and, and I got a whole bunch of hair in my mouth and was probably just about knocked out. But uh, that game went right, right down to the wire, but physically Canada, us on a Friday night, a game and for those listeners out there you only play you know your first game in the competition is 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 a friday night and you just play one game and so it was a dream come true to get get to play uh you know us canada on a friday night game and uh yeah that was a that was the first time i i, I felt that that head in my head so that was uh, that was one of my toughest moments ever but yeah it was it was right down to the bone so um Luckily, we uh, we snuck that one out on that occasion. Looking ahead to your test matches, the first what was it like the first time you got to lead the U.S. in a test match? Scott Johnson was was the coach, and uh, he was having one on ones. He came in and got a good idea of how he wanted the team run, and 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 he kind of had one on ones with with players. And I thought I was just going in for a one on one meeting with him in his in his room. And he sat me down and talked about leadership abilities, talked about this and asked me kind of who and why and where and everything else. And, and he kind of interrupted me and, and he said, actually, I, I'm thinking I want you to, uh, to lead. And I'm like, and from 2002, when I joined in, it was, you know, Dan Lau, Dave Hodges, then it was uh, Court Schubert, then it was Mike Herkes, all these, you know, individuals that are, you know, great rugby players, great speakers, very buttoned up and making sure, you know, you know, this pedigree. And here I am, you know, long hair and kind of now I, I and I turned it down and I just said, no, I, I don't think I'm the right guy for it. That's not my goals. And I never had that in my, you know, list of, of wanting to do or lead, lead the country or lead a team or anything else. And I and I told him I, w- I wasn't comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable, you know, for interviews or jersey presentations or anything else and I very put myself out there to him just saying I just don't feel comfortable and he's like I don't want you to change and he told me these words I don't want you to change continue doing your thing if you want to say something the floor is always going to be yours the guys have that respect for you uh you lead by example and that's what this team you know needs going forward and you know those those those, I'll never forget that that time and and I was able to to lead and and you know, have a jersey presentation and speaking in front of my peers, and and I was 24 years old, I think. You know, very nerve-wracking whenever there's 36-year-olds in the room that have been playing professional and have families and everything else. I still feel you know like I'm learning off of them, and, and I think there was a few grudges personally from from a couple guys that are older that have been in the team longer, and and uh, it wasn't my intention. It was my intention was to you know get jobs done and. And, uh, and and lead lead with pride. So it was it was very very cool experience after that one, and and to to lead the team for not just Scott but for four other national coaches. So I think it was like five coaches in total that we had. Uh, they 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 put me as you know their captain. And every time I remember when he left, everybody came to me. All the players came to me like, what's going to happen now? And that's how it happened whenever coaches were kind of when, when their contract was up or they, they got released or they wanted to leave the players, you know, came to me or the player group and everything else. And I was like, Hey, everybody's gone. I don't have a position. I got to fight for a starting position. I got to fight for a position on the team. I got to fight for this. I, being the captain was always the last of my, you know, worries or, or, or wants. It's, it's what, what's best for the team and, and how can I, you know, do the team and, and the country service. All great signs of a great captain, being a leader and leading by example and, and getting it done on the field, which you always did. Let's move forward to the 2007 World Cup, the try of the year. And uh, you were heavily featured in that segment. And I think it's still just like mainstream. So can you walk us through that play, that sequence and, and how that felt? I mean, going into, going into the World Cup, it was such a committed group of guys through, through, the, through the team. I was living in, in New Zealand. I, uh, I left university, moved to New Zealand, gave myself, a, you know, had myself a trial, ended up getting contracted, had another year in my contract. I got out of my contract so I can be with the U.S. team to prepare for the World Cup. So, um, and, and a lot of guys quit their jobs, you know, left their, left their families and wives so they can, you know, be together in the mountains, living in Boulder, living in Colorado 
to you know train high altitude so the commitment was there we just didn't have the rugby iq or the physical you know demand of of international test rugby you know going into that that world cup was 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 so was was so awesome and playing england uh, opening game was massive and i'll never forget that that's probably one of my you know most sacred hearing uh hearing the national anthem and and uh in a Pac Leon stadium in, in France and, and our last pool game was what we're getting at now is, is South Africa. And we had a tough pool. We had Tonga, Samoa and England who won the world cup before and eventually South Africa, our last pool where they end up winning the, winning the whole thing, go out there, enjoy it, leave everything we have. We're leaving the next day. We're, we're no chance making quarterfinals. So just have a go. And that's what we did, you know, as a whole team. And we, we were fighting till the end. And, and uh, it was, I think it was towards the end of the first half that happened. And we were, had a lot of pressure on, on, on our line. And, and uh, I was out wide and, you know, mismatched a couple faster, a couple bigger uh, spring box in front. And uh, just saw a couple big skip passes. And, and I went for it and, uh, you know, took the ball. Uh, and then tr- ran, a, ran a few few meters, handed off one and, and uh, passed it and just followed, followed in support. And I just remember the crowd, I, that, like uh, the crowd is usually doesn't play uh, a significant role whenever you're playing, but I'll never forget the roar of that crowd whenever we, we were making that break and, and we went through and, and it just kind of also stated how fast <laughs> Taku and how fast Brian were, because I, I felt like I was running and I was in support, but they just, you know, I was eating dust. And it was it was such a such a cool celebration and and uh, being part of that and it was it, it was definitely you know uh, one one of the highlights and, and being part of it and help starting starting that the try the World Cup or try the year was uh, was magnificent. And Toddy, you leave out the important part. Butch James of South Africa has been is world renowned for not using his shoulders. Coached Owen Farrell, I think, in the tackling department. But in that movement, you hand him off to the face and he goes flying backwards. Yeah, you know, again, sort of whenever you post things or when everything else, you you have respect where you don't want to, uh, you know, give it to people. But you know that that definitely felt good and uh, and uh, and it looked good on uh, on film as well. So I'll let I'll let other people talk. About <laughs> exactly. That. Let's fast forward four years later, Rugby World Cup 2011 in New Zealand. You mentioned you're with North North Harbour. You made a lot of Kiwi friends. I actually was on that trip with you as the media manager, and you and I had to do a lot of press and a lot of uh, you know extra activities. For me, it was a great experience, first time being at a World Cup in a working capacity. But what was that, that tournament like for you? Because then you were the captain of the side. You guys had some special moments in that tournament. Unreal to, uh, you know, captain the team to, um, to a World Cup. And then in New Zealand, which at that time, you know, definitely, fit, you know, thought of as in my second home of, of having of his father figure as coaches to, you know, best friends to, you know, teammates to all support, which, which was great. Uh, another one of my, you know, favorite, favorite tournaments and games that I could definitely, you know, match was our first game against Ireland, you know, when we played them and that was September 11th, uh, 2011. So a 10 year anniversary on 9-11 and, and that whole day was, was very special for, for the whole squad. And then, then a quick four days later, three days later, we played against Russia. You know, we were all beaten up from, uh, from a very physical Ireland test match and we, you know, kind of lift our wounds and and uh and played Russia got the win there and and uh you know travel down so they they put on such a great tournament and you know you can just the passion and you you know why you know New Zealand is 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 number one in the world and uh the people get behind it and everything else so that was uh that was a very special special time so a lot of listeners, they always see, you know, the, the highlights, right? The big moments. But can you go back, you play who's played the longest for the U.S., you know, time-wise and, and, and test match, obviously-wise, 76 caps. There have been some ups and downs we mentioned. One of them probably was Rugby World Cup 2015. Can you take us through that, that experience under Coach Mark Tolkien? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I've always been an open book, uh, you know, about it and, and always wanted the, what's best for the team. Uh, so whenever things went uh, went south with our relation uh, relationship, and we've worked together for for a long time, you know, it's it's we didn't see eye to eye on on a lot of things, and you know, I felt it was you know the team and the leadership and the coaching was 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 changing, and their thought process was changing with personnel and and how they go into 
a, a, a game, going into a World Cup and going into a lot of things, I felt as though we were taking steps back and not being professional and everything else. And, you know, for myself having an opportunity to, you know, like mentioned, you know, grow the sport uh, on and off the field. And, you know, I had an opportunity for ESPN uh, magazine for, you know, and I did a, did a shoot and coaches didn't really uh, approve of that or the, or the interview that, that I did, which was, you know, stating, you know, my thoughts and everything. And, uh, you know, they, they decided it was best for us to, you know, or, or best for the team to, you know, not select me and, 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 and drop me. And I thought it was very unfair. And I voiced my opinion, you know, behind closed doors to the board, to our CEO at the time and, and wanted to look into it as an investigation because I thought it was some foul play. Uh, which they never did, uh, unfortunately. And I felt as though there was a strong case. And then, behind, again, behind closed doors, the lawyers wanted to, you know, talk and sue. And I'm, that's not what I, I, I know that's not best for rugby. So I'm going to keep quiet, let, the, let it take its course. Unfortunately, you know, USA didn't have a good showing at the, at the World Cup at all. And, you know, felt as though that, you know, rugby kind of took a, took a step backwards. Yeah, Toddy, you would come back after that as well. I recall the 2019 Rugby World Cup qualifier, San Diego, probably one of the best displays I've seen in a long time for the US. You led the charge in that game. You beat Canada, sorry, Robin, by 50 points. And, uh, you know, does that rank as, I know you mentioned a couple other brilliant moments that you've had in your career. Where does that one rank amongst your uh, 73 starts and 76 caps? Yeah, I mean, it's every time you're, you're playing against a rival and, and, you, and you kind of know going into it, the week before we had a home and away and we actually tied them up, up in Canada. And it was, a, it was a tough battle, but knowing with preparation and going into it, and again, no, no, no offense to, to Canada, but we, we were so confident going into that last game. Uh, uh, you know, and for me personally, and that, that's as a team, for me personally, you know, after 2015, you know, you know, getting dropped from the team and going this and, and USA rugby came, you know, came to me and said, are you going to, are you retiring? We want to do something. And I said, I'm not retiring. I want to, you know, go out on a high. And they, they informed me that, you know, they're, they're firing the coach and coaches and wanting to assess and they had the successor coming through and we had a conversation and his first chat to me was, what is what is your objective and what what do you want to do for your rugby and it was a great question and i answered it honestly of i don't need to be in a leadership role i want to give an opportunity and that's it that's it and luckily they they gave me that opportunity uh to to put on the eagles jersey again and i i just was as nervous, just as excited as my, you know, 2003 test matches of, you know, being, you know, born again, feel, feel as though of having this opportunity. And I was so thankful to leave everything out on the field and for the players and wasn't captain in the first game. And it was against Argentina 15 in, in Houston. And after that week, a uh, week and a half of preparation. And after that game, uh, the coaches sat me down and uh, they said, we want you to be captain. You know, we, we, we want you to be, you know, captain, captain of the squad. And, and we brought in uh, uh, Blaine Scully to be uh, co-captain as well. So, you know, captain with Blaine was, was remarkable. We, we feed off each other. We're very different individuals and we're very good friends. And we, we just do things very different and it, and it's, and it, and it worked. The, the chemistry worked. So after that first week, they, they invited me back and, and and what took gave me the the captain's band and, and that was uh, that was awesome and leading up to it and that was 2016 so 2016 and 2017 and there was talks about you know for the World Cup and how can we you know maintain you going through the World Cup and I had a lot of thoughts and and uh, and where my family is where I was physically where I was you know in my headspace and I and I told him I, I wasn't interested in in going to the World Cup. I want to call my last game and I want it to be in my hometown. I want it to be on, the, on our shores and I want it to be in, in front of fa friends and family. And that was uh, the Rugby World Cup qualifier against Canada in San Diego. So having my daughter run, you know, with me onto the field for the national anthem, doing the, it, we played well and it was a great victory and very proud of the performance. And afterwards doing a victory lap with my daughter, 
um, you know, that there's no better way of sending off a, a career, uh, especially going, you know, knowing it would have been awesome to be in Japan and, and I'm going to miss a lot, but I know what it takes for, for that. And I know, and you see it in a lot of elite athletes, they, they stay too long or, or they get traded or they just try to hang on. And, and what was given an opportunity for me is how can we taper off um, your, your, your training load or whatever else so you can, you know, continue through the World Cup. And my thought for myself is that's, that, that's not the player I am. If, if I'm not able to lead by example and if I'm able to do half the sessions just to be there, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a food bill. I don't want to be a passenger. I don't want to, you know, do anything less than someone that's hungrier than ever just to, you know, get five minutes or have an opportunity to be in training camp. So that's, uh, that, that's, that's my thought process on it. And, and there's not a lot of athletes that, uh, that can retire on their own terms after a long career. So that was, uh, it was a brilliant way to bow out. It really was very fitting. And from a Canadian aspect, it was, you got, it was an impressive game to watch. You know, you could almost find yourself supporting the better rugby side that was a little more prepared. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was an epic game for you guys. And I was happy for you to go out like that. That's pretty special. And uh, let's, let's switch gears to Super Rugby, being the first uh, American to compete in that competition. What was that experience like at Johannesburg with the Lions? Yeah, I mean, back to, you know, setting goals. It was, uh, I was after 2007, but I mean, take away before that, whenever I started watching rugby on TV, I only got Tri-Nations and Super Rugby. So I had my, my favorite team in Super Rugby and I wanted to play in that competition. So uh, that's why I went to New Zealand and, and stayed there two years instead of one year and going over to Europe. I wanted to make a, a Super Rugby franchise. It didn't happen in New Zealand, but after the 2007 World Cup, uh, you know, and I think that try of the year in 2007 definitely helped uh, my cause of, of getting opportunities to, to go back in uh, Southern Hemisphere. Went down there and, you know, left, uh, left premiership opportunities, French uh, contracts that were worth both worth a lot more than than uh, than the Super Rugby franchise in Johannesburg, but I was able to tick off a box, and that's what I was about: is, is experience and and knowing what I wanted, and and was able to to do it. So, yeah, I, I after the 2007 World Cup, we uh, we tried to you know set up a professional national team that didn't last very long. Uh, compliments to USA Rugby not getting their their stuff together, but. Once that kind of uh, that dream folded, I, I went overseas and signed with uh, with the Lions, and and uh, it was it was such a cool experience. I mean, it wasn't walking in and and uh, make a hundred friends right away on the team. It was I had to I had to prove myself. I'd prove myself to all the coaches. I had to prove myself to all the all the teammates, and and uh, and as as. Uh, Dallin knows that the media is not, not the nicest or, or, or not the best in South Africa. So, you know, I had that to, to deal with as well. And I remember through, through the preseason, the training camp on, on the front page of uh, the sports section, I had a picture of myself in, in Johannesburg News and it said, would China import rice? Why would we import a flanker sort of thing? So <laughs> to know how much, how depth uh, they were. So I was like, oh, great, this is, you know, this is going to get, this is getting kind of hairy. <laughs> but, you know, the, after a tough preseason with, uh, with them, uh, preseason games, playing against the Bulls and, and, and got my first taste of it and then getting my first cap against the Cheetahs at Ellis Park, I just will always remember walking down that tunnel uh, at Ellis Park and just Wallace talked to you and, and uh, I, I, my mental um, aspect of, of, of the game is, is very, very in depth. And I, I, I do a lot of meditation and, and put myself in there and, and knowing it and do my history. So walking down these walls and sitting in these locker rooms, knowing who, who sat in that chair before me, who walked down this, who walked on this ramp, you know, going into the stadium that holds 60 plus thousand people. And the likes of Nelson Mandela, Francois Pino, you know, are coming into my mind and just being like, what, you know, this is insane. And having that opportunity to come off the bench and, and uh, you make a couple big hits and get awards for, for the biggest tackle of the game on my debut of uh, Super Rugby. And, and the guys really, you know, 
you know, that's when they, that's, that's when they started, you know, sort of opening up to me. It, it wasn't definitely overnight or after a, a preseason run in fitness test. It was, you know, all right, this guy's ready to lay his body on the line. He's been leading, you know, trying to do these sort of things. And, and uh, it was tough because it was off, all speaking off our cons and learning all, you know, counting to everything else. And, you know, I, I, I love South Africa so much. I have a lot of good friends and old teammates and, and uh, you know, I'll always uh, have a special place and, and I'll always visit there for the rest of my life. And switching gears, you, you then went to Japan. How was that huge adventure for you? It was tough because I, I spent three seasons in South Africa with the Lions. Uh, so three seasons and I had three different uh, head coaches for it. So every single year I couldn't get comfortable. And, and that's, that's good. You don't want to get comfortable, but you want some sort of consistency. So yeah, the president changed and then we have a head coach change, another head coach change. And so three, three coaches and, and the franchise isn't where it was before, you know, like, like every, like individually and everything else, franchises have ups and downs. So we were going through a bit of a, a change and I had opportunities uh, to, to leave, to go to Europe or, and, or Japan. And, and ultimately I, I wanted to come back to South Africa and, and uh, they offered me a three-year contract, South Africa did. And I had a two-year contract in, at Suntory with Eddie Jones uh, to play in top league. And financially I, I, I weighed out a lot of options and, and things and I, so I, I got out of my contract. I got out of that contract. So I was going to come back for that last year, and then with another option, just because I was loving it so much, and and kept it very tight-lipped and everything else. But back then, I they, I didn't have like a smartphone with DocuSign or anything else. So I had to go to like Kinkos, like a like a like a paper thing, and that's how the news came out. Is like the guy came and I signed the contract. I had to basically fax it over. So I faxed it over and the guy, when I walked in there, he's like a bit nervous, but he's fine. And or, or kind of oh, taught and knew who I was. And it was quite, quite, you know, flattering and humbling. And then we opens up like, Oh, you want the sending? And it was sending it to Japan. It was my Japanese contract that I signed and it wasn't out in the media or anything else. And then he read it or he saw it, it was obviously in Japanese. And he's like, Oh, and his look of disappointment is, oh, you're leaving us? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, uh, keep it quiet. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I was like, I haven't even told them yet. So it was pretty funny, but he definitely didn't keep it quiet before someone else let, 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 let the news out because it was on the, in the media about a, a day later. So, so that was, um, that was unfortunate of kind of a funny story about it, but yeah, leaving leaving South Africa, going to Japan, and you can't really get two opposites from from Johannesburg to Tokyo, and it was uh, it it was it was something else, you know. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, so I signed my two years, did my two years, and and liked it so much. Uh, ended up not going back to South Africa. I stayed there for another three years. So uh, in total, I was in Japan for five years, playing for two different sides, won uh, won some trophies, and it was it was it was definitely a, a huge chapter and 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 had a lot of fun doing it. And I'm a big fan of uh, Eddie Jones. I've read a lot of stuff that he's he's put out there. And what was it like playing for him? One of the best rugby minds, you know, in 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 ever, you know, in in, in rugby history. And uh, if it's if he's playing games with uh, media, or if he's playing games with opposition coaches, or if he's playing games within within the squad, he's a very tactical and and, and precise individual. But ultimately, I think he's the best because he, he expects the best. Um, there isn't a day that you come to work that you can't bring your A game. And if you're not bringing your A game, he'll let you know and he'll call you out. Um, even if it's a video review. And I'll never forget, I, you know, I, I, I could get into rugby, I could get into coaching, I could do that for passion, passionate things. But I don't think I could work for for Eddie because of how how demanding he is on individuals. I remember like one of our video analysis guy was putting something up and and his computer froze and he just started to sweat and you could just see that Eddie just like just do it just just make it work and it's like that's the computer it's not me and this is like you just feel so bad and and uh, you know he, there's a couple other funny stories that that I won't mention and one of them was me of, of, of getting the wrath of Eddie but. You know that's uh, it's better told over beer, anyways. But it's he's he's a he's a great guy, great coach, and very personable. I mean, once once you kind of get in that click, 
uh, I remember, you know, kind of sending him a text before the, the World Cup final uh, in, in, in Japan. It was England versus South Africa. Send him a quick text in the, in the afternoon, uh, you know, just throwing it out there. He responds in four minutes. And, and I'm like, oh, wasn't expecting a response at all. I can't imagine how many text messages you get back. But, you know, for him to take time out of that and, and, and I mean, the guy doesn't sleep. He's the first one there, last one out, making sure that uh, that, uh, that things get done and no stone, stones unturned. Such a character indeed. Tony, let's go back to the game of sevens. That's when uh, we mentioned you and I met. My on-field Todd Clever story takes me back to the 2009 Sevens World Cup qualifier. We're in the Bahamas, beautiful setting. We're playing Canada. You know, we're up by a few scores. Uh, we end up winning the game great. But during the game, I've never been involved in such a massive collision. There was a restart. And back then, you're obviously focusing on the ball. You know, I think you were jumping. Carnage. All I remember is like waking up on the side of the field and you helped me up. And then you went across and looking to push a couple of Canadian players out the way. And I was like, oh, at least Todd's here. He's protecting us smaller guys, you know, which is great. I leave the field, get stitched up, come back. And only the next day when I'm watching the footage, I realize you're the guy that knocked me to the ground accidentally. And I still have a scar on the side of my face here. Um, Verity, my missus is like, where did you get that? I'm like, that was Todd. She goes, but didn't you play on the same team? I'm like, that's, that's the kind of player he was. But anyway, I want to talk about sevens briefly. You got a chance to travel the world for many years doing sevens, but you're doing 15s at the same time. What was it like for you to switch and jump into different tournaments, whether it be sevens or 15s? Yeah, again, you know, I go back to sort of preparation and, and where you were uh, and, and what was, you know, you were able to do physically. And I remember it was, it was really demanding on my body. Uh, because it's such a different, you know, game that, that you're, you're, you're playing. So if you're in a sevens tournament and you're preparing for that, uh, your training is completely different from your 15s. And, and, you know, you lose, you know, 15 pounds of, of bulk so you can get that more explosive and, and, and maintain that, you know, fitness. And then when you're going to 15s, then it's a bulking and you're able to just change, change everything. So uh, I'll never forget the, the challenge it was for me physically and, and, and demanding away from it. But any opportunity I had to, to represent USA, those sevens or 15s or, or anything, I couldn't pass it by. And, and there wasn't a contract amount that, that, would, that would change my mind. It was you know, being able to represent USA, being able to do that was, uh, was, was, was no better joy to me and, and definitely my family. So uh, you know, I, I definitely left uh, left a few dollars, um, you know, with, with with contracts. But at the end of the day, uh, to 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 leave the game and and not have you know regrets, it's uh, is it's pretty awesome. Well, Todd, it was a real pleasure uh, sharing the field with you and Itaku Nguenya and, and a lot of your 15s guys have come back to sevens every now and again. But there's one famous story: George, the South African sevens student, was there back in the day. I remember a moment you got the ball in the wing. There was nobody in front of you. You just could walk it in to score. But there was an injured player. I think it might have been Zach Test was on the ground. And the U.S. physio was bending down to help Zach Test. And you ran straight at her, jumped and launched yourself over, just cleared her body and scored a try. What were you thinking? I, I, <laughs> I really enjoy playing rugby. And, and there's no better time of playing rugby without a smile on your face. You know, so... I honestly, I don't, I wasn't thinking I could have gone right. I could have gone left. I, I could have walked like you said, but um, what another opportunity just to have fun and, uh, and enjoy it and do something that's pretty ridiculous. So, I mean, again, I, I don't really have a good explanation, but, you know, I remember telling the guys, you know, before every test match and, uh, you know, at captain's run, you know, circle in and just kind of look around and feel each other and, and I just always reminded them and reminded myself is, is there another place you'd rather be other than this? There's no other place I'd rather be than with you guys, looking at you guys, like seeing the passion. And, and what I see in their eyes is, you know, soreness from the whole week, you know, training, the excitement for tomorrow's game, all these sort of things and the motion at this empty stadium because it's captain's run and knowing the next day it's going to be full, knowing there's going to be, you know, our enemy across from us and and once we cross that line and that whistle blows it's that but there's no that preparation and, and that was such a mental thing and um and and the day i retired you know co-captain uh, blaine scully and, and the team they got me a watch and you know on the back of it was engraved is there but there's there's no better place or, or you know the coat and i'm just like you know spot on because you know 
I look around, I smile, and if we're winning and if we're scoring tries and everything else, it's it, it's about that. You gotta you gotta stop and smell the rose. You gotta stop and enjoy the ride. And a lot of my career is so focused, fo- so focused. I I wonder if I was able to do that enough. I think I I think my life of balance was pretty good. I know a lot of team teammates and everything else are are, are over over you know structured and whatever else. And if that's how they operate, for me. I needed to, you know, split up that, you know, seriousness with, you know, cold beer with whatever else, a, a travel or a plane ticket to somewhere or, a, you know, a cuddle or whatever it may be. So, you know, those are, those are the sort of things that, uh, that, that definitely, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, instill on others. And, and whenever the first question you guys said, what would you say to a younger yourself is, is just em- embrace it, enjoy it, uh, and because it's not going to last forever. Well, the game needs entertainers and you certainly were one of the best. So we love it. All right. We're going to put you on the spot here a bit. Who would you say is your most respected opposing player that you ever played against in sevens specifically? In sevens? Um, probably mostly, I mean, playing against the greats. Like, you know, Sarevi was, was, you know, in Ryder, just unbelievable. Muji from New Zealand, Zar Lawrence. So, though, I mean, those are such opposite players than I am. I mean, I can tell you the hardest and everything else and physical, and that was like, you know, with like Frankie Horn or whatever that case, I mean, those sort of players. But we were similar. The people that were magic, that, that had the skills, the pace, the vision that, you know, I didn't have. You know, whenever things got tough, I, I always know, okay, I'll just look for a body and let's, let's win the contact for them. They just, you know, have a different third eye or they're, they're watching the film with a drone and they, they can just see everything. So, you know, th- those, those players, those four players probably amaze me the most. If it's, if it's Zar, Muji, William Ryder, or, or Sarevi. We had, uh, we had Hiriyama, so another, another legend on here a few weeks ago. And, and it's interesting because he, he debuted at 18, so he's been playing 100 years as well, like yourself. And he talks about joy and all the same things you do. You guys, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing when you play as long as both of you have and you're still finding joy or found joy all the way through. But he's still playing. And the first guy that he said was Ryder as well and Trevi. So it's, uh, there's still a massive amount of respect. And, and, you know, Ryder was just an absolute anomaly on the field. Like if he wanted to score, he was scoring. <laughs> Nobody could touch him. Exactly. I mean, he just made people look silly, me being one of them. So, uh, and then how about 15s? Who would you say are a couple in 15s? I mean, you, you, you go down the list of, of Super Rugby or MPC in New Zealand, internationally at World Cups or anything else. So there is a long list. And, and I would definitely, the hardest person and the person that I actually looked up to before and, and, and molded my game to and ultimately became friends with and ultimately, you know, knowing that we're, we're similar would probably be Jerry Collins. Um, just because what a hard man he is, whatever else. He had enjoyment in his life. He was fulfilled and he was kind. And he was, you know, people that you, you want to be on his team. And when you're not on his team, you hated it for 80 minutes. But whenever that final whistle blew, he was the first one, you know, in the locker room. So that was, you know, I didn't know him, you know, when I first started loving him. And then once we had a relationship and, and knew it, and it was, it was unreal. Um, so, so definitely, you know, Jerry up there uh, and another person that I, that I molded my game around that I, that I became, you know, that I'm very good friends with is, uh, is George Smith, you know, mold, you know, seeing him around the breakdown, seeing him, you know, do things that Fords shouldn't be doing and, and trying those sort of things. And, and uh, his outlook on, on life as well, and you know his lovely family, and we played to get, we, we played against each other Super Rugby. We played you know each other you know top level, and then we ended up playing and winning championships together in, in Japan and and uh, overseas. We spent some time as, as as well against each other. So 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 he he's he's one of those players that's just remarkable and, and pulls things out of his his uh, his hat. That's awesome. So uh, just just getting us up to speed here, we know you're heavily involved in Major League Rugby. Can you share with us your involvement in that league and, and different teams you're involved with and where you see that going? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, uh, Major League Rugby um, is at its still beginning stages and, and, and the growth of it is so exciting. I was had the opportunity when I was still playing to help advise and, and uh, work with and structure a franchise in, in Austin. 
and learned so much and you know and that was from afar and once i retired from from the premiership and internationally i i spent quite a bit of time in austin uh getting to know and working with the league and other gms and and uh you know having stake and ownership uh and and also playing some games for them as well so you know it was it was was pretty pretty remarkable to you know you know be a co-owner a player advisor sort of helping with directing and and everything so Again, learned learned a lot, and and uh, we we recently at the beginning of the year uh, actually sold the franchise to a new group, to a new guy, and they're they're taking it and they're making the right investments. And my role's changed, uh, obviously as as it would, uh, no longer an owner, but able to you know help assist and and work with relations, uh, sponsorship, connections, uh, liaison. Uh, all, all is pretty much a, a dream job working with them and, and seeing where they're putting resources that need it. And instead of being at the, you know, sort of working with the skin of your, you know, your, on your teeth of, of, you know, chop and change, stretching a dollar, they're able to invest in sort of the community and how that is. And I see a lot of other franchises doing that uh, as well. So uh, the growth of it is, is, is getting massive. Um, you're getting some really great business people involved in it and that's going to be a, a massive because there's business and then there's sports business and then there's rugby business uh which, which all i've uh, i've done it, just because you have a, a a business degree from harvard doesn't mean you're going to be able to save you know anything else you got to be able to uh speak the lingo have that passion and have that mixture of of, of means so uh, again you know I'm, I'm i'm a huge fan of it and we just need to you know get behind our you know Rugby Players Association, make sure that the best interest is, is, is taking care of the product, uh, taking care of the communities with grassroots uh, pathway, and ultimately that will take care of itself of, of feeding into our national team so we can perform on, on, the, on the big stages. Toddy, a question from my side. Um, so the last five years in particular have been very exciting for American rugby with the major league rugby starting, as you mentioned, and, and, and being very successful. The sevens team competing with the best in the world finished second last year and in a good spot for Olympic Games coming up. But in your opinion, when asked, when will the USA Eagles in the 15-a-side game compete with the top 10 sides in the world? What, what would you answer? It is a tough question because when do, you, when do you start, you know, sort of judging it? Is it going to be at a World Cup cycle or is it going to be this? For us, we can't really get too, too caught up in these cycles of four years. Um, our biggest missing pu- uh, piece of the puzzle was having a professional game. We have a professional tournament now, the Major League Rugby, and the first year we go out and we beat Scotland. And then we go out and we, you know, winning game after game consistently and having these sort of things because we have full-time professional athletes. Uh, We have good strength and conditioning. We have good nutrition. We have this, all the things that we didn't have before. Whenever I was playing throughout the whole, my whole career, we had teachers, we had plumbers, we had uh, scientists, we had garbage men, we had farmers. So, I mean, you, against the whole scale, it's, uh, you know, passionate and everything else but you know they're waking up at six in the morning not going to the gym they're going you know driving 30 minutes having their coffee and have the routine and try to sneak in a little gym session so of course you're not going to be able to compete against those greats so with the movement and where mlr is going and 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 hopefully we'll be able to continue with that pathway but I think Major League Rugby, and, and, and I might be out of line saying it, but I think in 10 years' time, it's going to be the best competition in the world. In saying that, I think you know, the U.S. national team is going to definitely benefit from that. Now there's got to be that uh, equal, you got to have that balance of how many foreigners we're going to be able to have. If we're going to be the best competition in the world, are we going to have you know, 12 foreigners on each team and only three Americans and a spread across you know, 12, 14, 16 franchises, depending on what we're going to have? That's kind of thing that we're going to have. We're going to give more you know, uh, options or, or incentive for these uh, major league rugby teams to have more Americans and, and, and be able to play with that. That's what the, those different committees have, have to make up those decisions. But ultimately, I hope that uh, the decisions that they make or for the betterment of the totem pole. And, you know, the totem pole is the very top and, and the most powerful is World Cups and then Olympics. And then it's going to be into professional. So MLR is a little bit below there. So if it benefits that, you know, but also you have to look how uh, on the commercial side, filling seats at the stadium. So, but I do, I do believe, you know, in 10 years time, it will, will be the best. And, and I think uh, in, 
hopefully 10, 12 years, we'll be able to, uh, you know, get the beating, you know, on consistent values of the top 10 teams. Yeah, I agree with you and your assessment there, Todd. Let's finish off, though, on a story. Uh, South Africa, I'll never forget you told me this one. And all I'm going to say is die burger. If you can go into that humorous story for us, uh, for our listeners there, please, my friend. Oh, I, I mean, if we're thinking the right right thing, right, right, Rowan, I'm, I think we were just landing in, uh, in Cape Town. We were driving through, and uh, in, the, in the middle of Cape Town, there's this big industrial building. And it's die burger, and and I just look, and I'm, and this was you know before I was down there, and and I'm just like, is, is that a meat factory? <laughs> like like that's that where they're making hamburgers? Like die? Like I don't, I just didn't understand what it was, but obviously, luckily that you were there, Dallin, to uh, just assist us with the Afrikaans of the burger. Like well, well, I will say you forgot to say though, because the Skulk Burger was a player for South Africa, and you were like cheapers. They don't like him at all. This is the first thing oh. Robin Todd says to me. He goes. Wow, man! So you guys are mad about your rugby. I go absolutely. Like Springboks, African rugby, and he goes, "You don't. What happened to Scott Burger? Why don't you like him?" And then that's when I realized, oh, because me being my mom's Afrikaans was so dying Afrikaans is the, and so the burger is a newspaper is what it's called. Todd was the first person ever to bring that up, and I'm like, oh, that's a classic. <laughs> oh, well, I butchered. I butchered. I butchered. <laughs> Die, Todd. You've had so many memories. It's tough just to pull those out. Listen, my friend. I really want to thank you so much for coming on to our Rugby High podcast. It's an absolute privilege and an honor to have seen your journey through the years, and now to get you on as well has been brilliant. Without a doubt. Thanks, Dallin. Thanks, Robin, for having me. And uh, yeah, let's do it again soon. I love you guys. Well done. Um, great catching up. Good. Good chat. Absolutely. Long time no see, my friend. Look after yourself. Look after that, uh, that push-up body of yours and uh, your family. Beautiful ball over top. Yes, Seppo! Thank you for listening, you sleek sensations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Rugby Hive Podcast and catch us on all the socials at Rugby Hive. We appreciate your support. Be safe out there and we'll see you soon. They've taken the lunch money from South Africa.